0: The following recording may contain explicit language. I can't get more explicit than may. Let's just say it may. Tuesday, December 11th, 2018, from Slate It's the Gist, I'm Mike Pesco. Well, as you know, Kevin Hart has been hashtag cancelled, and also actually cancelled, after tweets surfaced where the comedian joked about smashing a dollhouse over his two-year-old son's head to prevent gayness. I must tell you, in context, it was not any funnier than that. But it was seven years ago. It was on the record. He apologized or at least discussed it previously. He says he no longer thinks that way. Then again, this was a bit or at least the premise for a bit from a 2010 special. I got a lot of fears, man. I got a lot of fears as a parent. i am tell you guys one of my biggest fears. One of my biggest fears is my son growing up and being gay. Hilarity does not ensue. It's just not funny. It's not not funny because it's offensive. It simply isn't funny. There is no twist or insight into the bit, which I'll spare you. It's just that his two-year-old was acting in a way he thought was gay. So Kevin Hart knocked over his two-year-old. He says, then he knocks over the mic stand on stage and the crowd roars. I do not get it. Now, the Academy, though, is in a position. they got to find a comic who's well-known, who's actually funny, who wants the job, who could navigate the demands of a boss with a low attention span and the power centers that are Jared and Ivanka. Oh, no, wait, that's the wrong job. they got to find a comedian with experience, but not so much experience as to have a track record that will not jibe with today's sensibilities. It's okay. We actually have advanced tape. From the upcoming Oscar ceremony, it sounds a little like this. And now, the 91st Annual Awards of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences. And here's your host,
1: Chris Rock. Now, we know one of them is lying, but which one? I don't know, but I know one thing. Clarence Thomas could have picked a much better looking woman to blow his career on, okay? I mean, doesn't she kind of look like Helen Willis from the Jeffersons?
0: Oh, no, no, sorry, wrong host, wrong host, said the wrong name. It happens, if you watch. Here's your host, Tina Fey.
1: I love you, Charlottesville, and as Thomas Jefferson once said, who's that hot light-skinned girl over by the butter churn?
0: No, wait, okay, forget her. Here's your host, Eddie Murphy. I have this nightmare that I go to Hollywood and find out that Mr. T is a faggot. No, not Eddie Murphy. Okay, here's your host, Louis C. Don't even bother, don't even bother with Louis C.K., Let's go with a non-American. Here is your host, Ricky Gervais. At least Jeffrey Tambor did it in a dress. Um, what a year he's had. Oh, what an actor, what a role. Yeah, no, it's Every day, he has to put on all the women's clothes and the hair and makeup and let people film it. That takes balls. So, I don't know how he does it. I really don't, I've seen these balls. They're huge and long. I don't know if he tucked him in the bra or does that thing when you push him out the back and let him hang out like a bulldog. No one knows. Huh. Well, that was from the Golden Globes. They were probably drunk. All right, we got to go safe. Safest choice to a Hollywood crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Barack Obama. Like, I'm out in California. We're at a fundraiser. We're having a nice time. I happen to mention that Kamala Harris is the best-looking attorney general in the country. As you might imagine, I got trouble when I got back home. (laughs) Who knew Eric Holder was so sensitive? Hey, Michelle's laughing. Michelle's laughing. Are we good? Can we stick with him? He said no. Great. What? He's starring in a buddy movie with The Rock? They are the original odd couple. So as for the Academy, the institution that named Crash and Driving Miss Daisy the best films of their respective years... They are going to have to hand out a UN-style translation device where a palette of diverse voice-over professionals will read Maya Angelou poems and Beto O'Rourke speeches in between the winners being announced. The viewers at home will be asked to remember something funny they once heard about popular entertainment, and then also to look inward and ask if they're implicated in colonialism or the male gaze by finding it amusing. I do have to say about Kevin Hart, though, Maybe the Academy has impossible standards, maybe they don't, but the Kevin Hart example does not test that premise. It should be possible to hire someone with past bits that if they are a little over the line are so funny as to be justifiable as to the double bomb of bad jokes and unsettling sentiment. Until then, the kings of Christian comedy may be doing a puppet show that night. On this show, I spiel about a not-so-great essay, in my opinion, by Andrew Sullivan in New York Magazine. But first, the inductees of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame will be announced Thursday. Pantera, once again, not on the list. Rock and Roll Hall dead to me. But who is a nominee? Well, we have a Hall of Fame voter with us and an overall musicologist can i call him a musicologist he happens to have a master's in musicology and a doctorate in overall funkiness ladies and gentlemen chris malamphy
1: hi i'm chris Gathard, and i'm very
0: excited to tell you about beautiful anonymous a podcast where i talk to random people on the phone i tweet out a phone number thousands of people try to call talk to one of them they stay anonymous i can't hang up
1: that's all the rules i never know what's going to happen we get serious ones i've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison i've talked to people who survived mass shootings crazy funny ones i talked to a guy with
0: a goose laugh somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends i never know what's going to happen it's a great show subscribe today beautiful anonymous the hall of fame has just announced its possible inductees, it's nominees, and I know you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought the Hall of Fame just announced who it was interested in, and it was some guy named Harold Baines who played for a lot of years but wasn't very good. No, 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 we're not talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame, we're talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with such nominees as Def Leppard, Devo, Radiohead, and Harold Baines. I have no idea how he got in (laughs) on this ballot too. Joining me now is Chris Malamphy, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voter if he was a Baseball Veterans Committee Hall of Fame voter, he might be Greg Maddox. But Chris Malamphy writes the Why is the Song Number 1 column for Slade, and he comes on the gist, and we do one of two things. We talk about a year and run down the hits. We talk about the Hall of Fame because this guy has a vote. And maybe it's not too late for you to get in touch with him and influence him. Chris, is it too late for that?
2: I'm afraid this year it is too late. I have come on your show and talked about the Hall of Fame, I think, the last three years. This will be my fourth. But in all of the last three years, I was either not a voter the very first time I came on. Or I am a voter, but I hadn't voted yet. And so people were like, you know, saying, oh, oh, are you going to Vote for dire straits last year. I got a lot of that at our live show. I we yeah. talked about it at the live show. But uh no, this year I because it's getting quite late and ballots were due today, the day we we're taping, which is December 10th, uh I have already turned in my ballot. And what's the rule? You
0: get five votes?
2: Uh you get five votes, each yeah. voter. And by the way, just to be very clear about this, there is a fan vote. You can, you know, go on log on the Rock Hall site right now and, and vote. But that all gets aggregated into a single ballot. Um, I am fortunate enough and have been for the last couple of years, I think this is my fourth time, to actually have a ballot uh, that is sent to some journalists and critics and, uh, you know, plus everybody who's ever been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So everybody right. from, you know, Chris Novoselic of Nirvana to Steven Tyler of Aerosmith has a ballot. This
0: year on the ballot, let's just go down. I'll list everyone, and then we'll pick out one or two notable ones um, either that you think will get in or who you voted for or who's new. Def Leppard, Devo, Janet Jackson. Already I'm listing the weirdest Coachella in existence. (laughs) John Prine, Kraftwerk, LL Cool J. Who's the opening act? MC5, Radiohead, Rage Against the Machine, Roxy Music, Rufus. Who's Rufus? Featuring Shaka Khan. Ah, now I know who Rufus is. Stevie Nicks, The Cure, The Zombies, Todd Rundgren. All right. Indeed. Who's been
2: on the ballot the longest? I believe there are some five-time nominees on this ballot. That would include LL Cool J. He's on for the fifth time. I'm voting wow. for him again. I yeah. He's the one pure rapper. There are other rap-influenced acts on this list, like Rage yeah. Against the Machine, but he's the one pure rapper. And so I'm voting for him again. I think he absolutely deserves to be in. I voted well, for him. love Cool James. Yeah. I really do. Don't call it a comeback. And let's see. Also, uh, Kraftwerk are on for, I believe, the fifth time. Yeah. Uh, I have voted for Kraftwerk before. I am not voting for them this year, not out of any lack of love, but because I'm trying to strategize and use, you know, deploy my precious five votes as best I can. I have a bad feeling that on a ballot that includes both Kraftwerk and Devo, two digital rock pioneers that both started in the 1970s, they may cancel each other out. And it hurt not I to think vote maybe for Kraftwerk you're over, again.
0: You might be overthinking this because Kraftwerk is, of course, very German, and Devo is, I believe, very Ohio.
2: Very Ohio. <laughs> They're very
0: American, right? So my criteria would be: Could you write the history of what we call rock and roll music, which is basically all music except classical? I mean, I don't know where of the late twentieth century. Yeah, yeah, yeah more like or maybe less. not show tunes, but okay, it's almost every musical genre. Can you write the history without Devo? I think you can. Without Kraftwerk, I think you can't.
2: Absolutely deserve to be in. This is their fifth time on the ballot. Um, And, you know, they are just so influential. The only reason I didn't vote for them was to try and spread my love around. And my five votes are LL Cool J. Uh, I voted for The Cure. I voted for Janet Jackson. I voted for Roxy Music. Mm -hmm. And I voted for Rufus and Shaka Khan. Okay.
0: Do, is it because you think that Radiohead will just get in because they're Radiohead and you can't be a critic without voting for Radiohead? They don't need you?
2: I think we had this conversation last year because this is Radiohead's second time in the ballot. And I theorized at the time, Psh, Radiohead, they don't need my vote. You yeah. know, they they are much more, you know, at the center of what people consider rock. I turned out to be wrong. Radiohead, they're on the ballot again because they did not get voted in yeah. uh, last year. Sunday. Do Radiohead deserve to be in? Yes, absolutely. That's a no-brainer. I continue to believe that my mission as a critic, and the reason why I was invited to vote on this thing is to not simply hone in on the white dudes with guitar, and with the caveat that, of course, Radiohead, their use of electronics is very pathbreaking and innovative. But... Uh, nonetheless, I, I feel it's my job to, to spread my votes around to acts that are a little less likely to get in, you know, on their first try.
0: Especially because there are already so many white dudes with guitars in the hall, you're saying, and it's not just a diversity play. It's that they're the people who have the votes now, that yeah. everyone in the hall. So last year's class of Bon Jovi, The Cars, Dire Straits, and The Moody Blues— they're all, to some extent or another, white guys with guitars they might totally. like Radiohead.
2: Totally. No, it, and it, and it's it's a bit of a snowball effect. You know, yeah. the more white guys with guitars you induct into the Rock Hall, they all get a ballot. This is what they're going to hone in on.
0: Okay, so let me just then challenge you. You vote for Janet Jackson. I think it's a totally understandable vote. I mean, I know you love uh, the Billboard charts, and she was unbelievably dominant. She's not a white guy with a guitar. John Prine is does Janet Jackson really need championing just given that she's a household name and her commercial success as opposed to a guy like John Prine, between those two, it would seem like John Prine would be more of the underdog, unless you have a different criteria, which is you just happen to think Janet Jackson's a lot better as an artist than John Prine is.
2: John Prine is one of those that could surprise and wind up getting in uh, on their first ballot. I know that sounds crazy, right? Because John Prine, he's not very well known, but he's a musician's musician. He's written a number of classics, it is entirely possible that John Prime will get in on this, his first ballot. I'm not betting on it, but it's not beyond the realm of possibility.
1: I saw you, all thou love, singing a song,
2: and you pick up truck, you put me on a morning train. Janet Jackson, on the other hand, this is her third time on the ballot. So you're talking about somebody who's got multi-platinum albums, a titan of pop and R&B, um, who is yet to get in and has clearly influenced, you know, generations of singers and, and performers. So um, this that was not a tough call for me. What's interesting about this ballot this year more than most is that uh, the buzz around, you know, Rock Hall circles was that the nominating committee who puts together this ballot, they went out of their way to really limit the number of dead obvious guitar rock bands some of which is because they've all been inducted not uh-huh. not every last one of them but but many of them have been and there's like a new wave of 90s rock bands you know there's that 25 year eligibility rule that you know an artist is not eligible for the rock and roll hall of fame unless they're first album or single is at least 25 years old. We're now getting into the 90s. There's a whole passel of 90s rock acts from Soundgarden to Alice in Chains yeah. who could conceivably every, be every on this Everything in the grunge
0: era. I mean, grunge was Nirvana. 93 was maybe, to, was that Smells Like Teen Spirit? Smells Like
2: Teen Spirit was 91. Okay.
0: So by 93, which is
2: 25 years ago, exactly. all, it's all in full bloom. It's in yeah. full bloom. I mean, really, I mean, you know, Beck could be on this ballot by now it's really not a very guitar-y ballot this year. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the centrist rock voter is going to interpret this ballot this year. Def Leppard, they are a guitar band. Absolutely.
0: I think that maybe later Def, pour some sugar on me Def Leppard, brought a little bit of, um, you know, uh, mockery their way. But for a time, they were the, you know, kind of most successful hair metal slash actual... uh, actual hard rock uh, heavy metal band going.
2: Well, can I take a sh- small victory lap here? Yeah. Even though I did not vote for Def Leppard, I would happily have voted for Def Leppard if I had a couple more votes. If you're going to induct Bon Jovi, if we're going to go to this phase of hair metal, I think Def Leppard are, they have a better catalog. They they have a really interesting synthesis of pop and hair metal and and even sort of, you might call it synthy electronic music. I mean, the yeah. way those those records, those smashes they put together uh, with the help of uh, Mutt Lang, their producer. I mean, those things are, are synthesized within an inch of their lives. And I say that with admiration. I mean, they, they could be human league records.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If we're going to the Bon Jovi well, we really should be Inducting Def Leppard. And hey, here they are on the ballot. And by the way, they're leading in the fan vote. And again, the fan vote doesn't count for much in the actual mathematical tally. But every band or act that has led in the fan vote going into the final week has Wound up getting inducted, which I think just means that coincidentally, who the fans like tend to have a strong, you know, contention of voters among the balloted voters. Right. So I would not be surprised if Def Leppard
0: and Shaka that Khan, way. or tell me Rufus featuring Shaka Khan.
2: Why yeah. Not
0: Shaka Khan. This is
2: a strange one. Yeah. Rufus and Shaka Khan recorded together for the better part of a decade, and they recorded in various configurations. Most of their early hits were just billed to Rufus, like "Tell Me Something Good." <laughs> Uh, Sweet Thing, which is practically a Shaka Khan, you know, showcase. I mean, that's like a ballad vocal showcase for her. And then she started releasing uh, solo albums uh, as early as the late 70s. Famously, I'm Every Woman, uh, Later I Feel For You. But she kind of flitted back and forth with Rufus. So Rufus and Shaka Khan are, they're joined at the hip and they have parallel careers, Um, Shaka Khan was nominated twice as a solo artist. This is the third time Rufus and Shaka Khan have been nominated. I just think the nominating committee is throwing whatever at the wall is going to get Shaka Khan (laughs) inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And by the way, let's give them credit. Rufus are an ace funk band. They deserve to be in. They're influential. They're... Height. They have produced amazing records. So it's not as if Rufus don't deserve to be in there, but they've tried everything to get Shaka Khan in. If you include both the solo and the group nominations, I believe this is collectively the fifth time Shaka Khan has been on the ballot.
0: And we haven't sufficiently talked about The Cure, who you voted for. Extremely influential in their genre of music, the Cure are a band who I like, and there's a number of songs that I just listen to and say, "Wow, that the craftsmanship there." They're not my favorite band; they're not exactly my cup of tea. But again, how do you write the story of music? Like, how's the Cure not in on the first try? I know this is their second. Would you agree with me? About I, that? I, yeah,
2: that's an amen for me because yeah. I, I I voted for them. Uh, There are three bands I call the Holy Trinity of British mope rock. The Cure, Depeche Mode, and The Smiths. They have now each been on the ballot more than once. I think all three deserve to be in. The Cure, if you want to expand the definition of what they are, they're more than British mope rock, which I say, semi, semi-seriously, Yes, they are also goth rock. And, you know, if we assume that Bauhaus or Joy Division are never going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, <laughs> Joy Division, frankly, really do deserve it. Uh, they're, you, pretty, particularly they're fairly
0: influential. If you yeah. couple
2: them with New Order, I, I wonder why they haven't even been nominated yet. But that's a discussion or an argument for another time. In any case, uh, if you assume that those bands are not going to get in, The Cure absolutely deserve to get in. I mean, in terms of any band that has called themselves goth for the last 40 years has been influenced by The Cure. But in any case, The Cure were not just a goth band and a post-punk band. They were a pop band. And it took them a while to have hits. It it started with Just Like Heaven in the late 80s and Love Song and Friday I'm in Love. I mean, they write sturdy pop songs. Boys Don't Cry, which is essentially like a punk slash post-punk song. It's very tight. It's about, you know, two and a half, three minutes. That's a pop song. And, and, you know, not unlike Kurt Cobain writing About a Girl on his first album, and everybody said, wow, that sounds like a Beatles song. Robert Smith wrote Beatlesque, you know, top shelf melodies and, and great songs. I absolutely think he should be a shoe in
0: So we know who you're voting for. We know who your hope you hope is getting in, who would shock you either in or out.
2: You know, it's a tough call this year. Again, this ballot is one of the most, uh, I use this word advisedly progressive ever Mm -hmm. from the rock nominating committee, rock hall nominating committee. Um, They really are trying to get some overdue acts into the hall and eliminate some of the obvious ones. I think Def Leppard are getting in no matter what. Oh. I think Stevie Nicks is getting in no matter what. And Radiohead, are they getting in? You, you assured me last time. Uh, <laughs> I I would say they stand a good chance of getting in. But I would, the fact that they are not top five in the ballot, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't bet the farm on Radiohead.
0: Chris Malamphy writes the Why Is This Song Number 1 column for Slate. He is a friend of the gist. He is a Hall of Famer in our book, and if not in our book, I'm sure the Veterans Committee will clear up any messes along the way. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. Andrew Sullivan is a writer and an editor that I've been reading since he actually was an editor of The New Republic. Very smart guy. He's got some moves which defenses have since figured out But it's a public intellectual in the truest sense, meaning this guy's like 200% public and at least 50% intellectual. In his latest work in New York Magazine, he argues that America has a new religion, and it's us. This essay is, in short, a horror. It's sophistry. It's as pure an example of pseudo-intellectualism as I've ever read. Now, this broadside against the kids and Cal, but so much more, has drawn both opprobrium and approval in just about equal measure, from almost every source that you'd expect. It is a defense of religiosity. Sullivan's a Catholic, and all the other writers out there who are guided by faith applauded him loudly. David, community, community, two more seasons in a movie, community. Brooks loved it. Barry Weiss loved it. Charles Murray, they all love the essay. The liberal voices who loathe most everything Sullivan writes did not like it. Two excellent Vox writers, Ezra Klein and David Roberts, tore its pieces, but maybe because there's a dismissive jab at Vox writers. So I wanted to go through the essay and give you my analysis of what went so horribly, horribly wrong. And I think it differs in a lot of ways from what other critics are picking on, but also at the end offer a rumination on why the entire thing is more meaningful than just one failed essay on meaning. So let us break it down. The essay is titled, America's New Religions by Andrew Sullivan. First sentence. Everyone has a religion. You know what? I shan't numb your ears with me reading Andrew Sullivan than me critiquing Andrew Sullivan since I'm not Andrew Sullivan. So here to play the part of Andrew Sullivan, also not Andrew Sullivan, is Meryl DeVolder. Hello, Merrill. Thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you, Mike.
0: You are a classically trained actor? Uh, yes. Okay. Now, to get into character, do you know much about Andrew Sullivan? I could give you some biographical details. I'm going to need some details. Okay. He is a uh, bald, gay, Catholic, contrarian slash conservative. You're most of those things, right? (laughs) Would you say you embody that? (laughs) No. Not in the slightest. You got to be that guy now. All right. All right. Will you be my Andrew Sullivan? I will channel Andrew Sullivan. Okay. So first sentence. Everyone has a religion. Huh, since I don't, not really, and I do consider myself part of everyone, it will be an interesting hurdle to see how he clears it. Now, I have to tell you, not only does he not clear the hurdle, he puts a water trap in front of himself. He's now running the steeplechase because his second and third sentences are, it's impossible not to have a religion if you are a human being, thus perhaps suggesting that I am a robot. He says, it's in our genes and links to a book, The name of this book is God is Watching You, How the Fear of God Makes Us Human. So at this point, which is literally not two sentences into the essay, I could have gone down the rabbit hole of trying to argue with the author of a book, but I do have this task of arguing with the author of the essay. It does trouble me that I might be a musk ox because I don't really have a religion yet. I still call myself human, but not down the rabbit hole. I must chase the rabbit. And here comes Swifty with the next graph. By religion, I mean something quite specific. I'm glad that by religion, Sullivan means something specific because religion is a word that does, in fact, have a specific definition. I will accept even the most expansive definition of religion, something like a set of beliefs, usually about the supernatural, that explains life and death, or a system of faith and usually worship that provides an explanation for the mysteries of life. So the elements that religion has to have, if we want to talk about a thing or an idea called religion, is some element of faith or belief has to be unprovable, has to explain the unknown. That's really all I require. Let us see how Andrew Sullivan defines it. A practice,
1: not a theory. A way of life that gives meaning. A meaning that cannot really be defended without recourse to some transcendent value. Undying truth, or God,
0: or God's. So he is saying a religion is a set of lived beliefs that rely on truths. I already disagree. That is not a religion. That is a belief system, perhaps a creed. Could be a value system. Really, it's just a theory. So he defines religion as something other than any definition of religion that is in existence already. And it's also not very specific, even though he says he means something quite specific. But let's go on. Which is to say even today's atheists are expressing an attenuated form of religion. Oh! So he asserts that the opposite of religion or religious is also a religion or religious people. Just a weak one. Sure, like eating a steak is a weak form of vegetarianism. Or you being able to see me clearly, that's just a weak form of my invisibility. Even if I'm wearing, say, shorts and a thin t-shirt. Or that my flapping my arms and clucking makes me an attenuated form of chicken. This is philosophy at the level of Rush lyrics. Atheists are the most religious of all. This is if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. I don't know. Perhaps not knowing that Antananarivo is the capital of Madagascar is the true knowledge of the capital of Madagascar. My friends, what is going on here has a specific word, unlike the, his definition of the word religion. And that word is twaddle. What we're engaged in is much closer to the known and accepted definition of twaddle then it is religion. Twaddle is foolish speech or writing. Religion, as we said, has to do with worshiping and explaining the supernatural, explaining life's mysteries. Religion is not atheism. Atheism literally means not religion or in the world of twaddle religion. We're literally five sentences in. He has laid out false premises. He has concocted definitions. He has said that the opposite of a thing is a thing. I highly doubt from this foundation good arguments can spring. I also doubt that if the argument that follows were to be a real bang-up argument, it wouldn't rely on the foundation of shit and spackle that he's provided. But Sullivan goes on. Their denial of any God is as absolute as others' faith in God and entails just as much a set of values to live by. I'm not going to get into a debate between faith and atheism. I am going to point out that Sullivan is contrasting the validity of religion versus irreligion based on the passion of the adherence to each set of beliefs. I doubt there are many other areas that Sullivan opines about where he would find this kind of thing compelling. Would he say that scientists concerned with global warming are just as passionate as deniers? Would he say that people who hate gays have as absolute a faith in their belief as gay people? Anyway, he goes on.
1: This is why science cannot replace it. Science does not tell you how to live.
0: Religion does not tell me how to live.
1: Science does not tell you how to live or what life is about. It can provide hypotheses and tentative explanations, but no ultimate meaning. Art can provide an escape from the deadliness of our daily doing. But again, appreciating great art or music is ultimately an act of wonder and contemplation and has almost nothing to say about morality in life.
0: That last sentence, art has almost nothing to say about morality and life, or to read it more narrowly, appreciating art has almost nothing to say about morality and life. None of the people who cheered this essay on could possibly believe this. I guarantee that if you go through the works of every single Sullivan backer who also opines in public, he or she has written extensively, maybe whole essays or books about the value of art, the value of music, how it does the exact opposite of what he says it does, or in fact, how it can very much explain morality in life. But why? Why does he have to say such an obviously incorrect thing? Because if he didn't attempt to bat away the value of art, there'd be a gaping hole in his twaddle argument. You could just say, well, I don't need religion to do that for me. I have art, I have philosophy, I have deep ways of engaging with and thinking about the world. I don't know. I guess he thinks he's checking off and pre-addressing any critiques that might come his way. So then Sullivan slams materialism a little bit, which is a crowd pleaser to the left and the right, criticizing abundance. That that seems to make you edgy, but it's a little like criticizing elitism or moral relativism. There's no one actually on the other side of that argument. Maybe with materialism, there's some Kardashian or an imagined person. But in general, we've gone crazy with materialism Is something that, Every single person in society agrees with and thinks that most of society doesn't. He goes on.
1: We have leveraged science for our own health and comfort. Our ability to extend this material bonanza to more and more people is how we define progress. And progress is what we call meaning. In this respect, Steven Pinker is one of the most religious writers I've ever admired. His faith
0: in reason is as complete as any fundamentalist's belief in God. But if a belief in complex systems and a mastery of detail is the way you order your universe, then by that definition, Bill Belichick is one of the most religious thinkers of our day. And if my bullshit definition of religion centers on an assertion of the self and the centrality of identity, then RuPaul is, of course, the greatest theologian of our age. If I made up a definition of religion, I could come up with someone who inhabits that definition. It's very – this is why Noah Webster – had an advantage on the rest of us. Once you get to decide what goes in the dictionary, then everything else really does adhere to your definitions. So next, Andrew Sullivan talks about John Stuart Mill, and then he gets into an argument with a bumper sticker. It wasn't even Bikini Inspector, 50 cents. It was not even Trump-Pence 2020. It's a different bumper sticker. And he lands on this point. The banality of the god
1: of progress, the idea that the best life is writing explainers for Vox in order to make the
0: world a better place, never quite slakes the thirst for something deeper. First he came for the Vox guys. And I said, well, actually, I said, and I'm saying quite a lot. Then Sullivan says this. Liberalism is a set of procedures with an empty center, not a manifestation of truth. The Heimlich Maneuver is a set of procedures, not a manifestation of truth. The Heimlich Maneuver is not supposed to be a manifestation of truth. Neither is liberalism. Liberalism is a way to achieve a social good, which is, generally speaking, things like freedom, fairness, material comfort, health, the chance for happiness and advancement. Though some would say unhappiness is the real happiness. Sullivan might say it. He does say this.
1: Netflix, air conditioning, sex apps, Alexa, Kale, Pilates, Spotify, Twitter... They're all designed
0: to create a world in which we rarely get a second to confront ultimate meaning. Okay, so does that mean that a TV with rabbit ears, sitting inside on a hot day, eating iceberg lettuce, listening to 45s, or reading the New York Herald Tribune, that's the means to enlightenment? Yes, I know, we're distracted. And you've listed some of the distractions, or in Kale's case, an example of roughage. But it's not religion. Kale has nothing to do with revealing a deeper meaning. It just has nutrients. Pilates is a way to stretch. Tinder gets you laid and Spotify provides the seductive soundtrack while you pursue that endeavor as you watch Netflix. And thanks to air conditioning, chill. It's all twaddle, 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 twaddle. Ever since we've had modern inventions, we've had critics saying they are making us further away from God or they are the new God. We've had messianic figures decrying the Edsel or the butter churn or the printing press as mindless obstacles to true enlightenment. What we're engaged in here is a dressed up, modernized sermon in the mode of Jonathan Edwards telling us we're all sinners in the hands of an angry God. Our God is not Alexa. Alexa just knows that when you ask her, is there a God? She knows to answer. People all have their own views on religion. Which is a hell of a lot smarter thing to say than anything that Andrew Sullivan does. True, he takes a digression into criticizing social justice activists. That seems to be the core of his argument, that social justice activists have gone too far and they have the zeal of zealots and zealots equal religion. Why not just concentrate on the excesses of social justice warriors, right? Why not? Call their extreme mindset or the extreme versions of that mindset, call it a cult. That is fine. It'll scan. It's what you've been writing for the last five years. There's no way to say, well, not only is that a cult, but let me tell you about this other cult It was founded by a guy with some long hair and some crazy ideas. Christianity is the only monotheism that seeks no sway
1: over Caesar, that is content with the ultimate truth over the immediate satisfaction of power. It was Christianity that gave us successive social movements, which enabled more people to be included in the liberal project, thus renewing it. It was on these foundations that liberalism was built, and it is by these foundations it has endured. The question we face in contemporary times is whether a political system built upon such a religion can endure when belief in that religion has become a shadow of its future self.
0: Look. For the record, I think Ben Shapiro should be allowed to speak on campuses and that maybe it's cold outside, maybe should we play it on the radio? Yes, I definitely think it should. It's an okay song. It's not really good, but most Christmas music isn't. But I don't need to call atheists actually religious to get me to those conclusions. I don't have to give a prescription of society as forever debauched and not even raise global warming as I indict society for excesses I don't have to malign Cal or implicate Pilates to make my grand theory sorry not theory twaddle what twaddle or maybe it's not and I only mention that in the event that it turns out to have been the case that not twaddle is the twaddliest of all and that is it for today's show the gist was produced by Pierre bien and Daniel Schrader who believe that, in a way, not making Fetch happen is what made Fetch happen. That one actually happens to be true. T.J. Raphael is senior producer of Slate Podcast. She'd like to bottle twaddle. The gist. What are you guys doing over the weekend? I think I have my agenda pretty much set in stone. Netflix, air conditioning, sex
1: apps, Alexa, Kale, Pilates, Spotify, Twitter. Sounds about right.
0: oop de Peru, And thanks for listening.